please take out your Bible or your phone so you can access the Scripture. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 16. We are talking about intentional impact. And we want to exercise our faith in an intentional way. And we're at this point in the sermon series where we're turning now and thinking, how do we live out these inner principles, inner beliefs, um, in a very intentional way to impact the world around us? And today we're turning to a topic that Jesus addresses probably more than we would want him to. Um, The topic is money. And... um, And we're actually going to look at one of the more difficult-to-understand parables that Jesus tells, and it's about money. And what is better than one sermon about money looking at a difficult-to-understand parable of Jesus? But two sermons on money about a difficult-to-understand parable of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do. We have two sermons on it. The reason we're going to have two sermons on it is I was working... uh, trying to finish up yesterday morning, and I kept writing and writing and writing, and I had these three points, and it got too long. And I, and I said, well, I'm either going to have to cut a lot of this um, or make it into two sermons, and I didn't want to cut all this work that I had done. So we're going to have two sermons um, on it. And the way that I see it, either this sermon uh, won't be too good, and you'll want to come back next week, um, for hopefully some better content, or the sermon will be great, and you'll want to come back next week to hear more content on it. So either way, uh, you can come back next Sunday. I hope you do that. Here's our parable. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, Well, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. And I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors, and he asked the first, Well, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. And I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In verse 10, we'll talk about these verses a little more next week. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, it will trust you with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then Jesus finishes by saying, No one can serve two masters, 
Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you're like me, uh, you find that parable not terribly easy to understand. And usually my approach when um, there's something difficult to understand in the Bible, um, I will try not to say more than what the passage says. And I, I think that's, that's good here. We were joking before the worship service um, about this, this passage. Uh, so what is Jesus saying? Buy yourself some friends? Like, here's some money. Be my friend. Oh, no, Jesus isn't saying that. That would be an example of going beyond what the Scripture says. Jesus doesn't say, buy yourself some friends. Um, so let's stick with what the Scripture does say and maybe ask, what is the, what's one of the main points that we notice here? And I think one of the main points is this, recognizing real value. Recognizing real value. Uh, the manager quickly realizes he doesn't have the most thing, the most valuable thing at the moment. He doesn't have it. So imagine his thought process here is the manager, the one that's working for the master, the boss, the big man. So imagine his thoughts. I had this great job, but now I've blown it at work, and now I'm unemployed, and so my income will be cut off, and soon I may be homeless, so I better turn to my friends wait a minute, I don't have any friends, <laughs> so I better get some. So what's the most valuable thing at the moment for him? It's friends. It's friends. It's recognizing real value. So he slashes the debts owed by customers to try to win their favor so that they will help him out when he needed a place to stay or when he just needed some generosity shown Towards him Now, I think there's two uh, surprises in the scripture. And the first is that the master, the boss, um, actually commended him for his act of shrewdness. And you saw the word shrewd, or you read the word shrewd, or you heard the word shrewd. <laughs> uh, and often we think of that with a, with a negative quality to it. And when we read that or hear that, we shouldn't because that word simply means uh, wise or um, um, reasonable, sensible. And so he acted in a wise way or in a sensible way is what that scripture is saying. So the first surprise is that the boss actually commended him for his shrewdness. And Jesus uh, points this out in verse 8. People of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than uh, the people of the light, or, or Christians, believers. Um, the second, and I think this is the real surprising turn in this parable, is that Jesus holds this dishonest manager up as an example to follow, doesn't he? I mean, look at verse 9, and we're going to have this verse up several times in the sermon for us to look at. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what does Jesus mean? He doesn't mean buy yourself some friends. Um, he doesn't mean adopt this man's values. He doesn't mean adopt his dishonesty. 
Instead, adopt this man's approach to using his resources because he was very diligent in securing long-term gain through the shrewd, the wise, the sensible use of money. So here's this timeless principle that we're going to look at over the next two days. And it's this. In order to seek long-term gain, master your money instead of it mastering you. In order to seek long-term gain, master your money instead of it mastering you. And that's, I think, maybe like the last point on your note sheet that we're going to get to today um, because we're breaking this up into two sermons. So you can just write other notes down if you would like from other parts of the sermon, but I don't think there's any more fill-ins for you uh, today. Maybe one more. Maybe one more fill-in. Um, so before we get to the how we do that, let's talk about the why. Why do we need to do that? We Here's the why. We need wisdom in using our wealth because our, our wealth is a blessing from God. But we must be wise in how we use it. Look at verse 9 again. Uh, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Worldly wealth. Um, the word worldly there is the same word as unrighteous. In fact, in your translation of the scriptures, maybe your Bible read, use unrighteous wealth. Now, how can wealth be unrighteous? Because we're used to thinking of money or wealth as, as pretty amoral, right? It's neither good nor bad. It's, it's, it's a tool. It's used for something else. Well, how can wealth be unrighteous then? And so I want to do just a little word study. It won't take long, um, but I think it may be helpful in getting at what Jesus is meaning here. Um, that, so the word worldly, unrighteous, came from the same Greek word. It's, it's translated in different ways in uh, the scriptures. And perhaps John 7, verse 18, we see that same word in John 7, verse 18, may be most helpful to us in figuring out what is meant by unrighteous wealth. wealth. So here's John 7, 18, different topic, uh, but this is what it says. Whoever speaks on their own does so uh, to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. And that word false is the same word um, as the one translated as worldly or unrighteous. And so how is false operating in that scripture? Well, it's contrasting truth, right? The man of truth. And it's contrasting that. There's nothing false about him. So being false means being unreliable. Because a man of truth is reliable, right? False, being false here, the same word as unrighteous, can be thought of as unreliable. Now let's apply that back to our scripture on wealth. Unrighteous wealth, what is that saying? It can be unreliable, right? The pursuit of wealth, the the spending of wealth, the planning around wealth, all of that can be unreliable. It could be a wild goose chase, in fact. Reminds me of of the story of of a group of thieves who who broke into a jewelry store 
one night, but instead of stealing anything, they just switched around all the price tags on all the jewelry. And so the expensive jewelry all of a sudden became really cheap, and then the costume jewelry, the cheap stuff, all of a sudden had a really large price tag attached to it. And so the next day, customers come in, and some uh, thought they were purchasing these valuable gems, but they were just winding up with the imitation stuff, the cheap stuff, And those people that maybe couldn't afford the really valuable jewelry, they come in, they they buy what they can, and they're the ones walking away with the amazing priceless treasures. In our search for what is valuable, we cannot trust the price tags placed upon things by the world. We can't trust the price tags placed upon things in uh, that are assigned those values by the world. So think about what Jesus is saying. He's like, your wealth, spending your wealth, it's kind of like roulette. You never know what you're going to get. It's, it's unpredictable. It's a, using another uh, gambling term. It's like it's a crapshoot. You, know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. You may really enjoy what you get out of your money in the end, or you might wind up feeling, wow, I'm really kind of let down with how what I'm getting in return for this. Uh, In other words, you never really know what's going to be your return on investment, Jesus is pointing out. Jesus says, because of that, because of that uncertainty, because of the unreliability of wealth, I'm going to tell you the absolutely best place for you to put your wealth if you want to be really fulfilled in the end. This is what Jesus is saying through this parable. And don't we want to be confident in how we use our our money, our wealth? Yeah, yeah, we do. That's part of mastering our money instead of it mastering us, having confidence that where we are putting it is going to be indeed valuable for us. So here's the first point of three. The other two we'll talk about next Sunday. The first point is this. Master your money by having the right priorities. So think about what Jesus is describing in the the change of this manager. He has a radical shift in priorities, doesn't he? Now, we don't know how the manager was using his wealth before all of this happened, but he began to use it with a very singular focus at the moment because of this radical shift in priorities. He knew, now my goal is to, is, is I, I, I need to acquire friends so that in a few weeks, if I'm out on my own, uh, some people can extend some generosity uh, to me. So all of a sudden, his future practices, or I'm sorry, his future priorities acutely shaped his present practices. Future priorities shaping his present practices. And I thought about that, that action of this manager, and it made me think, Um, of this personal question, just a a question for personal reflection for you. How has your faith in Christ 
shaped your priorities in life? What priorities do you have that may be different from someone that isn't a person of faith? What priorities do you have because you follow Jesus Christ? So Jesus identifies a distinction between the priorities of the dishonest manager and the priorities we are to have. The dishonest manager's priorities, they do now lie in the future, right? But they're still confined to this world. He began, he began to lay the foundation for friendships now for this dishonest manager so that one day in the future his friends would be able to offer him assistance and welcome him into their homes. But for us, Jesus adds a word. And let's look at the word that Jesus added. Verse 9 again, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, why does Jesus say this, add this word, because he knows that one day each and every one of our homes will be reduced to rubble. One day, one day. Whether they're made of wood or sticks or bricks or clay or whatever, all of our homes one day are going to be reduced to a pile of rubble, Jesus knows. And that one day, probably even before they're reduced to rubble, we're going to become permanent exodus of that dwelling because we will die and our souls will be taken to eternal residence somewhere else because we are physical beings and we're spiritual beings. This is what Jesus is getting at when he adds the word eternal. And then he says, invest your resources accordingly. Now, we are familiar with the concept of investing our money, right? That's, that's not a foreign concept. Investing now for future gain. Sometimes we cannot invest what we would like to, but, but we know that if we could, I mean, we would try to do that. And, and usually there's a little pressure from outside sources to do that, right? I mean, imagine the, kind of the, the, the 20-something person who may get his or her first real job and making a decent paycheck now, and then usually someone comes along. Maybe it's a well-meaning parent, or maybe it's a well-meaning neighbor kind of overstepping some boundaries, perhaps. But someone comes up to that, that newly working 20-something individual and says, oh, you are investing some of your money, right? In a 401k or an IRA, Right? What's that? <laughs> or if you're working in a nonprofit, you don't have a 401k, you find out you have a 403b. Or if you have kids, you find out, oh, I can invest in a 529 so I can send them to college one day. And so you have all these options. What's it going to be? A 401k or a 403b or a 529 or an IRA? And for the 20-something who finally gets a decent paycheck, the lesson is, well, I'm not quite sure what I can do or where to put it, but it needs to go somewhere else other than all of it in my pocket. So sometime, a long way off, I'll have enough to make it when I finally die. So we understand the principle of investing now for future benefit later. 
Jesus adds the word eternal to ask a question. Okay, you die. What happens then? What do you mean, Jesus? We die, and we have to leave all of our stuff behind. We don't get to keep it, Jesus. I I once read that funeral directors, um, they can offer their clients um, special suits that are made if they don't have a suit to be buried in. And, and, and people can buy a suit for their, their loved one, the deceased loved one, if they don't have one. And these special suits are almost identical to other suits, except they lack one thing. There's a difference. They don't have one certain thing. Can you think of what that one certain thing is that they don't have? Pockets. Yeah, they don't have pockets. Um, you don't need pockets if you... <laughs> If you have nothing to fill them with, right? Uh, There's nothing from this world that we can take with us until the next. We have to leave it all behind. Maybe we'll leave it to our children, and who knows what they will do with it. Maybe they'll leave it to their children, or maybe they'll leave it to their dog. I don't know. You can do that. But we don't know what's going to happen with all of our stuff after we die. And Jesus says, well, maybe there is something that we can take with us. Maybe there is something you can take with you. What is that? Friendships. That's what he says in this parable, right? Use worldly wealth to make friends so that they can welcome you, welcome you into your eternal homes. Jesus tells us, imagine what it will be like to have heaven full of people that you have invested in financially. You've invested financially in, uh, in them on earth. Maybe you helped them get through life. You made that investment, and there's some payoff with that for them and for you, Jesus is pointing out. Or imagine people who have come to the Lord through a missionary who could not have served as that missionary without the support that he or she received in part from you? Or think of people who may have come to the Lord very slowly but surely through your church's children ministry or student ministry that you helped to fund through your offerings. Jesus is helping us imagine all of these people who have committed their lives to Christ in part through what you have done with your resources. Imagine that. And then Jesus suggests, do you realize how long you will see the fruits of your investments? Because, let's face it, we invest in our 401k or our 403b, our IRA. How long do we get to see the fruits of those investments? 20 years? 25 years, maybe? And then who knows what happens after that? Goes to the dog? I don't know. And Jesus is pointing out in heaven, in heaven, you will get to enjoy those investments for forever. Forever. Now, sometimes Christians um, who have a, a high... Um, belief in God's sovereignty over salvation. 
Um, and I would describe Hope Church as such a place, have that high belief in God's sovereignty in our lives and us coming to salvation. Um, sometimes we can minimize personal responsibility in evangelism by thinking, well, listen, God's sovereign. If, if God wants someone to come to know him, it darn will happen without my effort of investment, right? Um, sometimes we can think that, but here's the truth. The Bible never supports that way of thinking. So I wrote this down. The Bible never uses God's sovereignty to minimize my personal responsibility. God accomplishes his will through his people walking in faith and obedience to him. And Jesus says with this parable, if you want your money to serve you in the best way possible, the best return on investment, adjust your priorities and think beyond the next 50, 60 years to where you will actually be spending the vast majority of your life. So here's what Jesus wants us to know. Eternal priorities pay in full. And I worry sometimes, I mean, I worry in my own life. This is, this is applied very personally, that heaven seems too remote for us to see it as something we're really to prioritize. Now, let me, let me don't get me wrong. I, I think we're certainly willing to believe in Jesus Christ in order to receive the promises of Jesus Christ, and that is eternal life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I mean, minimally, someone would be willing to do that. And, and, and I, you know, I think we should be believing in Jesus Christ for Christ's sake because we believe Jesus is beautiful. But I would admit that minimally, someone would be willing to believe to receive the promises of Jesus Christ, which is eternal life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But to really prioritize our life now around future eternal life in heaven, sometimes it seems just like a stretch, like I can't get my mind around what I can do now to really prioritize that. I mean, what can I do differently now to really prioritize my eternal life in in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? I mean, there's some things I can get my mind around. I can get my mind around investing in retirement, you know, delayed gratification. I don't spend all my paycheck now so that I can have a bigger paycheck years down the road when I retire. I get that idea. I get the idea of delaying gratification now so I can get a, maybe prioritize a vacation. I want to I have a nice vacation, so I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to delay gratification now. I'm not going to spend all my money. I'm going to save a little bit so I can actually go on a vacation, stay in a hotel room instead of trying to convince my wife that tent camping in a state park is a really nice vacation. I can get my mind around prioritizing nice clothes, right? Maybe you need some nice clothes. And I don't even have to delay my gratification on that one. I can just pull out my credit card and get me some nice clothes. But here's the deal. We never know what kind of return on investment we will get on those things, will we? I mean, maybe we don't make it to 65 or 70. Maybe we don't when my retirement age would be, you know? Maybe I have a stellar vacation planned and I'm there and it rains the entire two weeks and, and it's just a miserable mess. Maybe that happens. Or maybe my nice new clothes get put in the laundry with my 
eight-year-old's daughter's jeans, and she has a pink and a green crayon stashed in the pocket. And so when they come out of the wash and dryer, my nice new clothes are kind of marbled with green and pink, and they're ruined. I mean, this stuff happens, right? It's happened to me. Has that happened to you? The marbled clothes because of the crayon stuck in the pocket? And, and, and we go through all this and we, we, you know, makes us want to cry or shout or yell or whatever. And, and we're in this kind of this broken world where things aren't going the way we want them to. It's not supposed to rain on our vacation. And listen, God, what, what God does is he, he uses the broken things of this world to, to kind of pull our hearts a little further in the future to our eternal life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it is an act of God's grace when he does that to kind of pull our hearts, just to gently remind us this is not our home. This is not our final dwelling place. It's just a little blip on the the whole spectrum. We're going to be spending our lives much, much, much longer in a different place. And he just, just pulls our hearts along by using the broken things of this world. You know, our bodies start breaking down. Uh, man, I cannot believe how often at evening now, and at night I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just saying to myself, I cannot believe how much my ankles hurt. You know, our bodies start breaking down like that. Our houses start breaking down. We start seeing new cracks. Our relationships and marriages, they start suffering little cracks. You know, no matter how hard we try, they might not be the way we want them to be. Our jobs aren't quite what, they, what we want them to be just like this fellow's in the parable. And we can pump all kinds of resources and time and effort, money, sweat equity, into all of these things, our bodies, our homes, our relationships, our jobs. And, and yeah, of course, we need to do that in part, but we can sink all kinds of resources into those things and those relationships and those people and those jobs and our bodies. And man... We're still going to live in a broken world. We're still going to have hurt ankles and clothes that get ruined. But with the temporary nature of this world and the steady, determined deterioration of things, you realize someone has come in and just switched all the price tags around on everything. And we need someone, we need someone to set us straight. We need someone to come in and tell us how we can use our money in a way that does not disappoint. We need someone to come in and free us from the worry of wasting our wealth. We need someone to come in and free us from regret that at the end of your life, all you have is just a bunch of material things that you don't have pockets to put them in and take take them to the next world. We need someone to do that. And along comes Jesus. And he says things like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and he sold all that he had. And he bought that field. Eternal life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says things like verse 9. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So the treasure of living in God's eternal kingdom is yours. It is yours. It's yours. It's made available by God's grace. It is surefire, 100% yours. Set your hearts there. Make investments there by blessing others now, helping them now, helping them to know the gospel and impact of Jesus Christ on their life. And Jesus says, if you make that your priority, you will not be disappointed. You won't be. That's point one. Come back for points two and three next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as imperfect people, broken people, broken hearts, broken minds, uh, pastors preaching broken sermons. We pray that you would use all of this, uh, this truth from Scripture to, uh, to shape us, to help us to grow, to give us light, to help us to know what really is trustworthy and valuable and will not disappoint. We pray that you would open our eyes to your grace that makes living in your kingdom possible. And living without fear of not having enough or using it the wrong way, uh, using our, our resources the wrong way, help us just to follow faithfully in the footsteps and the path that you've uh, given us to follow down, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.